Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We've been dealing with the subject of firstborn subject, uh, firstborn sonship, excuse me, and we've been um, at this point in our journey dealing with the stages of sonship. And we said, for example, that according to Galatians 4, that so long as the child who is an heir is a slave, he differs no, lo- no more than a slave. If the child is immature, although he is an heir, he differs no more than a slave. And so he's in need of tutors and guardians um, until the time set by the father. And the tutors and guardians will mature the child into maturity so that he could appropriate practically the inheritance of his father. God will never give an inheritance prematurely to one who is not prepared for it. The prodigal son thought he was able to handle inheritance, so he requested of it, of his father in Luke 15. But he exhibited an immaturity in his character and so the inheritance was given but it was wasted and not just wasted his life too was almost potentially destroyed okay but thank God in that context for the restoration of the Lord in that he came home after coming to his senses coming back to his father's house in the house of his father is the context for the maturation of the son he left that context prematurely thinking that he's able to steward his inheritance. But the present demand of the Lord for us this morning is that we grow up and that we mature in our sonship development, in our levels of maturity, so that we could start to practically experience the inheritance to which we have been called. We have an inheritance in Christ. Amen? We have an inheritance in God. It's our Father's good pleasure to give us the the kingdom. And don't defer that to the point of death where you exit this life and many people postpone the, the whole issue of inheritance to sometime in the future where we exit this life and we access things in God because we will be with Him. No, this inheritance has got a lot to do with the year and now as well. Amen? So Peter would say that To us, He's given great and precious promises so that we can become partakers of the the divine nature. We become partakers of the divine nature through the Word of God, precious promises that has been given to us. Having the nature, we have also um, been given not just His, His essence, His being, His nature, but also all that belongs to Him is ours. So that in this life also, He has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Okay? Tell your neighbor, God has given you all things that pertain to life. So all your needs will be met. 
has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. God wants to bless you. He wants you to live a qualitative life here on the earth. That's part of your inheritance. And I just feel there are many things God wants to give us even practically. Although the whole issue of inheritance is not solely material, but it does include materiality. Right? And God wants to give us these things. Right? But money is the lowest threshold in terms of blessings from God. Money is the litmus test, yes. Because your faithfulness there will tell me whether or not you are eligible to steward the eternal riches. Not so? For example, he who is unfaithful in tithes, first fruits and offerings demonstrates that he is not yet fit to steward the eternal riches. Not yet fit to steward eternal riches. Uh, Jesus said if, if you are unfaithful in what he called unrighteous mammon, money is unrighteous mammon, how can God give you stewardship or rulership over the eternal riches? So God often uses material things like money as a test in sonship to see whether we are eligible to steward the greater things in the kingdom. Not so? Okay. And so the demand is to mature. And in your notes, which is different from the one I've previously given out, I've enlarged some things. If you look on page um, three, we discussed the various stages of sonship. We must all mature to the place of Uios sonship, which is the mature son in God. To this son, the inheritance is disclosed in its entirety. This is the son that can accurately represent his father, do his father's business, and forgive men of their sins. I'll talk more about that later. Right? Um, Paul said it was God's pleasure to reveal his son in me. To reveal his son in me. And the son spoken of there is the Uriah son. Everyone say, I'm a firstborn son. What is the key scripture for firstborn sonship that we have been focusing on? Come on, you know. Romans 8, 28 and 29, right? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined that He would become what? That we would be conformed to the image of His Son, that He would be firstborn in many brethren. The word son there in that verse, where it says he the son wants to be firstborn in us, is this Greek word, euios. So whenever you think of firstborn sonship, he who comes into maturity as a firstborn is, is qualified. We, we, let me just rephrase it. He who matures in sonship to the euios degree is most aptly poised to function as a firstborn son. That is the standard, that is the mark, that is the, the reach, that is the destination. Our destination is that we all be firstborn sons. Okay? Now, um, the first stage of sonship, when someone comes into the kingdom, receives Christ as Lord and Savior, they are still infants in Christ. The Greek term there is nepios. Everyone say nepios. Alright, this is an infant sonship, and I don't want to go through this again. We've dealt two sessions just on that one stage, but just in summary, the broad points. Point A in your notes. Sons, Nepios sons have an inheritance only, positionally, but due to immaturity, they have not appropriated this reality sub 
objectively, personally, practically, and experientially. Point two, the Nepios son is easily influenced by various circumstances, teachings, and the schemes of men. Okay? Easily influenced by various circumstances, teachings, false teachings, and the subtle schemes of men. Point three, C rather on page four, I taught you, he is given to jealousy. He is given to quarreling, fighting. He is given to divisions and boastings. And thus is carnal and still of the, of the flesh. On page five, point D, he is prone to seek excellence in spiritual gifts or ministry without first excelling in, in love. Without first excelling in love. Page 6, point E, he's only able to assimilate the milk and not the meat of the word. He is untrained, unskilled, inexperienced in the word of righteousness, and he has undeveloped spiritual faculties of discernment between good and, and evil. Okay, so those six qualities describe what is an infant in Christ. And I want to encourage us all. We're leaving infancy. Amen. We, we're leaving any expression. Now those six characteristics. If they are present in your life. Make a decision today. To do this. What is this? Put away. Paul says. When I was a child. An epios. I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. I thought like a child. But when I became a man. I Put away. Everyone do this as a prophetic action. I put away childish things. Cartagio. You got it in your notes on page 7. The word is cartagio. Right? First, this first Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away, or the King James says, I put away childish things. Okay? I've put away childish things. And kartagio literally means to render idle, inactive, inoperative, right? To, to take the force or the power out of a thing, okay? And you know, it's a, it's a deliberate conscious thing that you're going to have to do, right? Ask your neighbor, is there any residue of nepios in you? <laughs> right? Let me say, if you are still there, Inheritance is deferred. God in His wisdom, He's a loving God. He will not prematurely give you inheritance because He knows that it will make, you will make shipwreck of it. Right now, even if I wanted to give Luke as tall as he is, the keys to my captive to drive and say, this is in my will for you, take it now. I will be an irresponsible father to give someone who is immature in terms of driving skill and, and expertise, God will keep back certain things until you grow up. Amen? So what does Paul say? When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned like a child. But what did I do? I cartagioed. Give, it, give the childish things a karate chop. Cartagio. Okay? I cut those things out of my life. Cut the childish things. But let me encourage you with this. He says, when I became a man... I put away childish things. How do you put away childish things? Don't seek to overcome the childish thing. Just seek to mature as a man. And you will outgrow certain things. Certain things are going to fall off, off you. 
right? You will outgrow certain tendencies, certain. Uh, 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 uh. Rose spoke about gossiping, for example, quarrelling, gossiping. That is a childish, nepios expression. You must outgrow that, okay? As you mature in the Lord, you will outgrow naturally certain things. Amen. Now let's go to page eight. So we want to focus on for for today. The next stage in development in sonship is the Piedon son. And in the natural, in Jewish culture, it would describe a child of between 2 and, and 10 years old. Right? Now please, those age groups are just there to help you understand how the Jews and the Greeks use these terms to describe people in their world. So somebody of between 2 and 10 years old in their culture would be called Piedon. Right? For us, in a spiritual sense, Dr. Sam said the following, it's a little child, mature enough to understand and proclaim. The emphasis is still on little, little child. And Samson said the following, This little child of God has matured beyond themselves enough to truly know the character and the nature of Father, knowing both His intimacy and His sovereignty. During the season of knowing, the child will be in a place to finally receive the father's blessing on his life for the first time he begins to enter the experience of the kingdom of his father and during the season the child grows in strength wisdom and grace now let's unpack that number one point a the child starts to know the nature and the character of the father and develop intimacy with him before you read just think about it when you came into the kingdom and you experienced the nature of the new birth your life was changed not so and most of of your focus was a bless me mentality god did things for you uh, god broke through for you in certain respects it's like a little child whining is uh, totally self-centered focused on self-preservation self-protection my provision the whole world functions around them okay and when the child grows out from this phase even in the natural someone of between two to ten years old like ray is there now so what is she doing the natural now she's not just every moment just focusing on my needs what are these parents of mine going to do for me today you know she starts to to know us to know the culture of our house she even calls us to MD every night now. And each one of us have an MD turn. And we have a family altar. Right? She's learning the culture. She's learning affection. She'll come to us and she'll hug. There's growth and knowing of the of intimacy with the with the with the father. And this is where the Piedon son starts to get intimate and to know the character of his of his father. Let's read the scriptures. First John chapter two. And verse 12 to 13 says the following. I'm writing to you little children. That's technion. Little children is technion. Technion is a diminutive form of technon, but we'll come there shortly. Because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men. That's neaniskos. Because you have overcome the evil one 
And so the Paidon, listen to what he says. I've written to you, children, Paidon, because why? Because you know the Father. So the Paidon son starts to, to get intimate. Everyone say intimacy. And I want to encourage intimacy. Right? Start to really know your Father and lock in in relationship with all that He is. Secondly, the child starts to become aware of and know the blessings or the blessedness of his walk in God. He starts to realize there's something different about me. I'm a son of God. I'm a son of the kingdom. And I can start to appropriate the fact that I am blessed. Tell your neighbor, I am blessed. Tell someone you're sitting next to a blessed person. So therefore you are doubly blessed. Amen. Matthew 19, 13. Some of the children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The word children that he's piled on. After laying his hands upon them, he departed from them. So in this verse, Jesus called Pidons in these contexts. But the principle here is they were the recipient of a blessing from, from Jesus himself. Right? So the Pidon son, is, he starts to leave the Nepios state and he realizes that my father will take care of me. That I am blessed. I am the receipt. I'm the recipient of divine blessing. Okay? I am not normal. I'm not usual. I'm not ordinary. I'm a son of God in the earth. I have the blessing of my father upon my life wherever I go. Turn to someone and say, you're blessed in the field. You're blessed in the city. You're blessed when you rise up. You're blessed when you sit down. Blessed is your coming in. Blessed is your going out. Blessed is your basket. Blessed is your store. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. You are blessed in the workplace. Your family is blessed. Your marriage is blessed. Your children will be blessed. Your children are blessed. Amen. You are blessed. Right? This, never discount this. Because the moment you start in your mind to negate this, you start to demonstrate that I'm, I'm still here, I'm moving, slipping back into an infant kind of thinking. I am a blessed man. Let me tell you boldly, confidently, you are looking at one of the most blessed men on the planet right now. Right? I know I'm blessed by the Lord. It's not a boast. I'm asserting it as a confident reality. Amen? When you go to your workplace, walking with your robes, if, if you are, are going into the, what, what they call that? Technical term for it. I'm talking to uh, Clint, with the, with the lawyers, when you robe when you go in. I know you're going to appear, to appear or, or represent your client or whichever. You go in there and you're armed and dangerous because you've prepared. So you did your homework and there's legal representation. That's what I'm looking for, right? And um, you go there not an, as an ordinary lawyer, right? As a teacher. Well, how many teachers do we have here, right? Even in the classroom, wherever you're working, in your workplace, all of you, Wherever you're functioning in your own business, you tell yourself, I am blessed of the Lord. The blessings of Abraham are, are mine. Right? I have an edge over everybody else in this courtroom because I'm connected. 
Huh? <laughs> I have connections in high places. Very high. I'm seated high above powers, principalities. Seated with Christ in heavenly places. Amen. So I want to declare over you, remind you this morning, you are blessed. Amen. So this reality starts to sink to the sun. Thirdly, the Pidon son knows what it is to humble himself, to gain entrance into particular kingdom expressions of life. He learns to deal with pride. Matthew 18, verse 2 to 5 says the following. And he called a child to himself, and he set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like little children, Pidon, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, everyone say entrance. Let me just say this. You've accepted Christ, you're all in the kingdom. But not everyone has entered specific expressions of the kingdom life or kingdom power. There are domains to which we must come into practically, subjectively and personally of the kingdom life. Now to enter those domains, Jesus said, you have to humble yourself as a piedon to enter those expressions. Right? So the thing that I glean from this is, this piedon son knows what it is to humble himself. To humble yourself is to stoop low. Humility has got no um, uh, feature or expression of pride in it. Right? So this son learns to deal with pride. He learns to deal with the I in his life. He's willing to subject himself, um, to divest himself of his own thought and opinion and to embrace the view of God on a matter. Because that for me is what humility is. You know the Greek word for humility? Like for example, in James it says, receive the word of God with meekness. The word meekness or humility there literally means receive the word having divested yourself of your preconceived opinions about the topic you are hearing and receive the word God's view and mind on the thing that is able to displace your current view. Right? Humility is to bow to receive something divine, something accurate, more correct from the Lord. Amen? So, amen. Have you experienced that? Where you have a view on a matter, but God presents His view on the matter. So what do you do? I say, Lord, let your ways be my ways. Let your thoughts be my thoughts. So that the moment I do that, what do I do? The scripture says, I enter kingdom. I enter kingdom quality of life. A kingdom manner of of expression. Do you know how opinionated people are? Everybody has an opinion today. Everybody has a view. But the, uh, many people fail to subject their thinking to the thinking of the, of the Lord. Okay? And the Spidon son starts to learn. Right? Ray is starting to learn that sometimes she must subject her, her thinking to Renee's thinking. Right? Because that is the, the accurate way. Right? And very soon she might find out if she pursues her thinking, the results may be disastrous. Okay? Right? But we must subject our mind to the mind of Christ. Everyone say humility. I want this house to be a humble house. We mustn't, have, we mustn't be proud people. Amen? The way we carry ourselves, the way we present ourselves. We must be docile. Now docile is not powerless. Please don't misconstrue our quietness for a lack of power. 
Right? We can rise to the occasion when we have to. Amen? But we are meek. What did Jesus say? Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, for I am meek and gentle of heart. Everyone say meek and gentle. Huh? If there's something I want to encourage you in this house, be gentle. Don't be harsh. Don't be brash. In the way you speak, in the way you communicate, in your thinking, in the way you deal with people, deal kindly. Deal honorably with people. Amen? Do you know, what? you know why God used Moses to lead a couple of hundreds and thousands of Israelites over e- out of Egypt? The Bible says he was the meekest man on the planet. How is that for a CV? Huh? If I were God, I would have rather chosen the guy who is... Ah, you know, I need that kind of leader. I mean, you're taking slaves of 430 years out of Egyptian slavery. Surely you need a strong, robust, eloquent man to lead this group. God says, no, I'm looking for the lowliest, humblest man on the planet. That is the man I need to lead. Tell your neighbor, be lowly and meek. Be lowly and meek. Then I want to encourage you. Right? Even, even when you know more than the context you are functioning in, don't let your pride allow you arrogantly to demonstrate how knowledgeable you are about the subject. Sometimes the, your greatest expression of maturity is demonstrated in your ability to keep quiet. Right? Because you know who you are. Amen. But many people in, in Cape Town, they use the term khoi. Ek, ek sal khoi. I'll demonstrate. You know, I'll show them who I am. You know? So don't hoy. Be humble, be meek, and be gentle of heart. Amen? Be, 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 be gentle of heart. Page 9. So this Piedon son, he knows, he starts getting intimate with the nature of his father. He starts to become aware and knows that he's, a, he's blessed. He, he's humble. He divests himself of, of, of opinions, etc. For the first time, point E, he begins to enter the experience of the kingdom of his father. Now I've just told you, to do that you're going to have to be humble. right? Humility, gentleness and meekness. Right? Mark 10, 15, Truly I say to you, wherever does not receive the kingdom, like a child, he will not enter it at all. Everyone say, like a child. So Jesus is calling us not to stay at the Nepio stage, but all he is saying is sometimes we must exhibit these qualities within us that we must maintain our child likeness, not our childishness. Right? And a child here is trusting, not so. Children are trusting generally, right? They just they trust the adult, they trust the teacher, they trust the parent. So what he's being asked for here is you must start to be trusting of your heavenly father. To a point where you don't question his commands. You don't negotiate in your mind as to whether you're going to obey or not. You're so trusting in his leading that you will say, yes, yes, Father, I will go. Yes, Father, I will, I will obey. Fifthly, the Piedon son, during this season, the child grows in strength, wisdom, and grace. Not so? It is said of Jesus in Luke 2.40, the child, Jesus, grew and became strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was 
The grace of God was on him. So in essence, he starts to mature in his wisdom and um, grace. So there's three things, stature, wisdom, and grace. The Python son starts to learn the mind of God about specific things. And the wisdom of God starts to fill his heart. Obviously, in this context, Jesus was at least two years old when, when this verse was, was written. Because he was two years old when the wise men came to see him in the manger. Right? That's why Herod ordered all the babes two years old and under to be killed, remember? So at this time, Jesus was, he had passed two, he was, he was growing. The Bible says about him, and the child grew, the, the, the pydon grew, and he started to grow in what? Everyone say stature. Now your stature is not, in this context, it was his physical body. Eh? But for us spiritually, it's spiritual stature. It's spiritual muscle. You start getting stronger, you sense. I'm growing in the word. I'm receiving the word. I'm receiving the wisdom of God. I can sense my spiritual muscle being developed. I'm no longer as weak as I was last year. There's definite growth. I know in my heart I'm definitely not an epios. Right? I put away the childish thing. But you know the Bible? In, in context, Jesus is submitted. You must read the whole of Luke chapter 2. Jesus is submitted to who? To Joseph and Mary. And they steward his life for him to grow in wisdom and in, in stature. And I want to encourage you. You should have more spiritual muscle now than you did last year. Because of your constant submission to the voice of a spiritual father. Right? Don't be weak and anemic in the spirit. If we look at you with x-ray eyes and we see where you are in the spirit, we must not see somebody who is emaciated, weak and devoid of muscular power in the spirit. You've got to be a person of spiritual weight, spiritual stature, and spiritual muscle. Okay? So what is your representation in the Spirit, how do we see you in the Spirit? Everyone do this. Like, assert your muscle. Okay, if you don't have it naturally, just do this. Okay. <laughs> um, what I'm saying is, we're not focusing on the external. I'm worried about your, your representation in the, in the Spirit, right? Remember the sons of Sceva? Tried to cast out the demon out of that man in Acts 19. And the, and the demon stripped the clothes off them and chased them out of the city. Why? Those guys were looking at Paul casting out demons. And, they, and the Bible, they said they were Jewish exorcists. So they were accustomed to casting demons out of people. But when they saw the results that Paul had compared to what they were doing, they listened to Paul. And Paul was saying, I adjure you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. And the demons would come out. So they picked up on a formula. They heard Paul. So they came to a demon-possessed man and say, they said to him, we adjure you. By Jesus that Paul is preaching, come out. The demon says, hey, Paul we know, Jesus we know, but we don't even recognize you in the spirit. You've got no weight, no authority, no stature in the spirit. Can you see what I'm talking about? It's your representation, not before men, that counts. It's what you are able to wield in the realms of the spirit that is essential. So do this again. <sighs> Stature. You must grow in stature. I want to encourage you. There are certain regions in the world I will not go now. Because I know my calling, I know my metron, I know my grace. 
I know my stature in Christ. As that grows, I will feel a greater liberty to, to go to certain other places. Amen? And I really want to encourage you, grow in your representation. Grow in your stature. When you look at yourself in the mirror today, do this exercise. Go home, stand in the mirror, and say, wow. Hmm. You know right? Even if there's no wow, just say, wow. <laughs> You're looking good. But, and then say to yourself, but let me see above you. What, what, is your, what is your stature and power and weight of authority in the, in the spirit? You've got to grow in stature. It's very, very important. Amen? Okay, we got a bit sidetracked there, but I think it was very necessary. Amen? Then, in point five, point E in your notes, the Piedon son still needs development in his thinking, especially how to apply the gifts, talents, and abilities the Lord has given them. Right? Now, check this verse out in 1 Corinthians 14.20. Brethren, do not be children, Pidon, in your thinking, in evil, be nepiazo, be infants, in what? In evil, but in your thinking, be mature, be te laos. So what does Paul say? Uh, let me just explain one or two things quickly. I'll, I'll, I'll do of this more later. But where Paul says, in your evil, be, be nepios, he's saying, in other translations say it like this. In respect to evil, be innocent. Because the word nepiazo here is used as an infant. And what? Infants are innocent, not so. So what Paul is saying, in respect to evil, be innocent, be pure. Right? Then he says, but when it comes to your thinking. Now everyone do this. I want to encourage you. Do this. And this is where the problem is. Paul is begging the Corinthians. He says, guys, please, man. Don't be infantile. He says, in your thinking, don't be Pideon in your thinking. Don't think like a Pideon child. But in your thinking, think teleos. Think like a mature believer. Right? Think like a mature believer. Now, in your notes, the Pideon son exhibits knowledge of and developing intimacy with his father. We say that, not so. He can understand certain operations within the kingdom and the church. Not so. He's getting entrance into kingdom life and kingdom expression. His spiritual mentalities or his spiritual mental faculties are not completely or fully developed and as such needs greater maturation to the perfect state. Right? While he's got all of these things going for him, he's loving his father, there's growing intimacy with the with the Father, he's starting to exercise great humility, meekness, gentleness of heart. He starts to grow in his levels of wisdom and stature, and there's evidence of an abundance of grace in his life. He can, listen carefully to the context, he can, when it comes to the practical expression of his gifts, talents, and abilities that God has supernaturally given to him, he can start to exercise them not with a mature thinking, but with a thinking that is depictive of an infant or a nepios. Right? Why? Where does this verse fit in? What is the context for 1 Corinthians 14 that Paul had to say this? 
The context for 1 Corinthians 14 is the administration of the gifts of the Spirit, not so? The gifts of prophecy, the gifts of tongues, the gifts of healing. And Paul is saying this, in, he puts his verse smack bang in the middle of his discussion of how do we administrate the gifts. So brethren, it's not because you are graced, not because you are well endowed, you are gifted, no one is discounting that. But what we are calling for now is a maturity in how you administrate your gift. In how you express it. I have seen great collateral damage done in the church in the past. Through a highly, highly gifted individual. The gift is not in question. The endowment is not in question. Highly gifted. But very, very poor character development. And so, when, they, when it comes to the expression of the gift, what was intended by God to be a source of blessing becomes a source of damage. Why? He's proficient. Maybe proficient in the gifts. But the mindset, the thinking, everyone say thinking. The thinking which, with which that gift is expressed is not mature enough. Okay? Is not, is not mature. So Paul is, is calling upon the church. In, and you must read, I won't have time to do it. I'm almost tempted to do it. Read the verses before and after this verse. Um, to see what Paul is saying. And, and he says, um, I, would, I, I want you, as far as evil, be innocent. Be nepios. Right? In your thinking, don't be paidon. But in your thinking, think mature. Because I know you have gifts, he's saying to them. I'm just paraphrasing. I know you're well endowed. But, and you know, wasn't the Corinthian church well endowed with the gifts? If ever there was a church highly gifted in the spirit, Paul even said this to them. When it comes to spiritual gifts, you come second to none. He told them. You guys are right on top of, the, of, of, top of things. But to which church also does he write the chapter on love? And how does he write the chapter on love? What chapter is the chapter on love, by the way? 1 Corinthians 13. What chapters discuss the gifts of the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Why would Paul interrupt his discussions of gifts with a long discussion on character of love, smack bang in the middle of a discussion of the gifts of the Spirit? This was the Corinthians' problem. They wanted to express and administrate the gifts of the Spirit devoid of the character of Father, which is love. Hmm? Let me tell you, I want to encourage you. Tell your neighbor, in your thinking, be mature. Tell another person, in your thinking, be mature. So now I'm not so excited, even when myself, I feel, and I know God has given me many things. And if there's a context in which I must express my gift, I must express it not with, with an immature thought pattern, but I must do so wisely. God is causing for the wise dis dispersing of my gift. Okay? I must do so in wisdom. Sixthly, this Pidon son. The child at times has difficulty in understanding the will of God attendant with his life in a specific season and revelation of Christ to him in that season. That's a mouthful. Let me say it again slowly. Read it slowly with understanding. The child at this time, at times, sorry, 
has difficulty in understanding the will of God attendant with his life in a specific season and revelation of Christ to him in that season. Now, everyone say season. So you're in a season of your life, like a little time frame. Right? There are two things that you must understand in that season. How Christ comes to you, the revelation of Christ, right, to you. And what is the demand of God for you in that, in that season? Failure to understand those two things. What season am I in? Right? So you understand the season. So two things I said to you. What is God's will for me in this season? And how is the revelation of Christ coming to me in this season? Right? Now here's the verse. Listen carefully. John 21, 4 to 6. When the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach and he said to his disciples, sorry, uh, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Let me just, just, just look up a second. This is the second time he's appearing to them after the resurrection. Right? Oh, by the way, it says, after he appeared to them the first time, Peter went fishing. And the disciples followed Peter. Because Peter was a highly influential person in the group. So when he goes fishing, guess what? What? And Jesus called them out of that occupation to follow him for three years. Now he's died. He's already appeared to them once in the room. Peter's decision is, guys, hopeless case here. Wasted three years of our lives. I'm just paraphrasing his thinking. Wasted three years of our lives. Following this man, all our hopes and dreams were vested in him. Now he's died and risen again, but I just cannot make sense. I can't make sense of this season. And I can't make sense of how he's coming to us now. The revelation of Christ to us now. I somehow go back to my old job. Who's coming with me? John, Andrew, uh, Levi, Levi fishing. <laughs> Everyone say reversion. When you revert back to an inaccurate expression of life, out of which you were called, right? It's sometimes as an expression of an infant kind of thinking, a on thinking. So what, what did Jesus say to them? Listen carefully. Jesus said to them, so Jesus said to them, children, you know, this is an indictment. And they knew exactly what he was alluding to. He's saying, you've been with me for three years. By now, I should be calling you Uios. He says, little children. Right? He says, little children, Pidon, uh, you do not have fish, do you? Like he knew, it wasn't a question. He knew that they would have been unproductive in the thing that they reverted back to. Right? Tell your neighbor, don't go back. I feel this. You know, when I wrote this up, I, the Lord spoke to me on so many things in my own life. Right? Do you recall at one stage, it was last year or two years ago, I was about to go back to teaching. I almost took the, the, the decision. And I read a verse in Isaiah somewhere where the Lord says, don't go down to Egypt. It was amazing. I got up that morning. You know, I don't do any money, money more. Any, mini money more. Lord, speak to me from any book. But that morning, I, I just got up and I was, I was about to phone the principal that day to give him my answer. It was a call to me to come back. Uh, and I, and the, the needs at home were pushing in that direction. 
South Africa, and the Lord says, don't go down to Egypt. And I, and I got my answer. That for me would have been, listen carefully, not fully understanding my season. That's why, listen carefully, don't allow the disappointment in a season to dictate to you the course of God's will for your life. Right? To do that is to manifest the mentality of a paidon. Right? That's why you've got to understand your season. Know what the, the Father has subjected you to. Otherwise, you're going to say, I don't understand the season. I don't even understand the revelation of Christ to me in this time. I'm going back to fishing. But when they go back to fishing, they're toiling all night and they're catching nothing. Why? They were not called to that in that season. To do something in a season that you are not called to is to do that thing with no sanction from heaven. And the, the success, the fruit that you should have enjoyed will never come to you. Why? You're totally out of alignment with the will of God for your life. Hmm? Paidon. It's amazing, eh? You know, if I were them, Jesus is not being sarcastic. Hey, little children. That's what he called them. Little children. Paidonies? My Paidons? At least he didn't call them Pythons. He said, my Paidons? Hey. And he says, oh, you haven't caught any fish, have you? It's like, I know you're doing the wrong thing, the wrong occupation. You're not going to have my blessing on it. Unproductive. But I love the mercy and the grace of our God, eh? And he says to them, listen carefully. He says, they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. And they cast and, and they were not able to haul it in because of what? The great number of fish. You see, it was a familiar voice of instruction. They knew the sound of the command, cast your net on the, on the other side. Something awakened in them, right? And, you know, I, I really believe, I just feel the need to pray even now. For many of you, I perceive, are in this place. Many of you are in this place. But the Lord is here, here with, the, with, the, with your spirit. You're going to hear a familiar command. Command you knew aforetime. The sound of it will be the same as you've heard previously. And the Lord is going to say to you, Cast your net. Do it my way, in other words. Right? He knows best. He knows what is best than trained fishermen in their day. Right? And let me just say this. They did not even question nor negotiate. They did not say to him, I mean, who do you think you are? We, we are schooled, well-trained fishermen. We know these seas very well. What difference it is going to make whether our net on this side of the fish, of the boat, or, or that side. But all they did... They submitted totally to a familiar voice, the voice of their master. And they got a great haul of fish, too great to number. Right? And I want to encourage you. I feel that the Lord is going to, um, I don't know, for this house, for some people in this house, God is saying, enough, enough of that Pideon expression, enough of that Pideon tendency. I now call you back to where you should be. Right? And I will demonstrate to you. Here's the prophecy to you. Some of you initially now are going to be very blessed. You're going to catch the biggest haul you've ever caught. Right? But don't let the success in the catch fool you to think that that domain is your ultimate calling. 
you know, if some of the disciples say, hey, let's carry on this thing. Check out the success. We've never caught like this before. Right? But all of that was to give them a greater revelation of who? He is. And there was the reinstatement, I believe, of the original calling in Christ. Okay? And, you know, this I pray for myself because the Lord has ministered powerfully to me about these issues as well. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Tell your neighbor, don't go back to fishing. Don't go back to fishing. Don't go back to an inaccurate expression of life that you're going to toil and toil and toil, being divorced and disconnected from His voice. Right? But hear the sound in the season from a familiar voice that's going to tell you, get back, my son, to where you should be. And I will demonstrate to you, put evidence in your life of how I am able to bless you as you obey. And that is designed to bring you into a greater understanding of who I am. Everyone say, Father. You know, the revelation of Father is really growing in my own mind. I get up every day and sometimes amidst great need. But yet there's a confidence, there's a poise, there's an understanding. Sometimes you've got to understand the season that you are in and say, God, I know the season that I'm in, but I will not allow the season to dictate my stature in you. I will not allow that to impact my view of you and the diligence with which I execute your command, my passion to fulfill your purpose. Understand where I'm in. In your thinking, do not be tied on. Paul say. Amen? See, the, Pidon, the Pidon's challenge is a, a, a much of a mind thing. Okay? Much of a mindset uh, disposition. So I want to encourage us all to, to extract um, that kind of, of, of thinking from, from out of our system. So, just to finish this off, on the top of page 10, Jesus, after his resurrection, at his second appearing to his disciples who went fishing, called them Pidon, perhaps alluding to the fact that they have reverted to a wrong preoccupation, fishing. Four, why did they do this? Because there was a failure to understand how the will of God was playing itself out. Have you been there? Where sometimes you can't make sense of what God is up to. Why has God submitted you to this process? What's going on, Lord? I mean, I've gave three years of my life to follow you, and it's all come down to this. Is this the final result of all my days, or three years of following you? I mean, some of the disciples must have been thinking like this. Right? And you know, I just sense it so strongly here this morning. Some of you are saying, is this what it all amounts to? Is this what I've come to? Is this what I have to look forward to? And the Lord is saying, stop that kind of thinking. Change your mindset. In your thinking, do not be pied on. Right? Because if you continue in that, you're going to make inaccurate decisions and have no productivity and sanction in that domain where you function. Secondly, there was a failure to comprehend how and where, listen carefully, Christ is to be recognized, revealed, and understood in the current disclosure of himself to the earth. Right? You see, When he came to the disciples, they didn't recognize him. Now, he just gave them an instruction. The Bible says they didn't know it was Jesus. But the moment he spoke, he says, cast the net on the other side. A familiar sound. A familiar voice. 
And sometimes many of you, you know, I just believe the Father wants to reveal Christ to us now in this dispensation in such profound ways. Who's ready to know Him more? Come on, let me see your hands. Who's ready for an unveiling of the Father to you? He wants to reveal Himself to you. And some, He's coming to you in that season of difficulty that you're in, but you can't recognize Him. Can't. It's not that you, you're out of relationship with Him, but there's just no estimation of His worth and His person and who He is right now coming to you. Right? And the Lord says to me to tell you, Listen out for his voice, a familiar voice. My sheep hear my voice, and the voice of another, the hireling, they do not recognize. Have you ever had the witness, you know, God is speaking to me now? There's a, there's a voice I know. Right? I might be in the most difficult time of my life, but there's a voice I know. Right? And you know, one word from God can yank you out of a thing. Eh? I mean, and let me just say this. I just, this is not part of the sermon per se, but it's a prophetic thing. You know, God is wanting to show you how much He loves you. Because many of you have doubted that. And He's about to show His disciples. I mean, the autocratic hard leader in this context would have come to them and say, Hey guys, oh he of little faith, what's happening? Why have you gone back to this former occupation? Did, haven't I not been with you three years? What happened to all the Jesus, the Bible studies, the Beatitudes on the Mount? Hey guys, Peter, John, what was the other guy? Peter, James, John. You were with me on the Mount when you saw me transfigured. What are you doing now? Didn't come with a whip, didn't come with a rebuke. He came with an expression of an abundant provision. This is not law. What I'm teaching is not an, an an unalterable principle. You can't apply this in all contexts. I feel this is a word applicable for us in this house this morning. I simply believe God's going to demonstrate to you of His call to you to get back to where you should be by an expression of an abundant provision. So tell your neighbor, be prepared for the greatest haul of fish you have ever caught. I, I feel this so strongly for all of us. Really. All of you. I can, call, I can go throughout each row here and right now and call you by name and say, uh, be prepared for the greatest expression of productivity in your workplace, in your business, in your marriage, in your private world. God's going to show you how much He needs you back on course by a sign. That sign is going to be a massive haul of fish. And all God is saying, and please learn the lesson. The lesson is, the Lord is going to say to you, Son, when this happened, learn the lesson. Don't go back to this fishing again. And learn the lesson. The Lord is saying to you, Son, extract. I'm dealing with you in this way to extract the Pidon mentality out of you. The little child mentality. That's concerned about what's going to happen to us tomorrow. You know, if, 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 if Renee and I disappear now, what will, what will Ray ask? Liam, where's the food coming? Will it be breakfast tomorrow? How are we going to take care of the house? Will you drive the car? A Pido is always focused on in the absence of the Father. And Jesus left them. What's going to happen to us? But the Heavenly Father will take care of you in every situation. Amen? Stand with me. Close your notes. Stand with me.
You know, I didn't plan to say this. This wasn't part of my teaching. It's really, I really believe a word. I believe God is dropping a word. Amen? And by the way, listen, you know what the Bible says? They call for help, eh? I think, didn't they call for help? Yeah. Maybe call for help because you're not going to manage the blessing on your own. <laughs> we'll help you. We'll help you catch your fish. <laughs> Amen? I'm expecting to be blessed in a significant way as an indication of the favor of God in my life. I will submit to your will. I will bow and give my heart wholeheartedly to your cause. Close your eyes, lift your hands. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you love us deeply. Thank you, Lord, that we are leaving and putting away childish things from us. Every childish expression will not be part of my system. Father, I thank you for a new day. Thank you for growth. Thank you for increase. Thank you for the restoration of the purposes of the Lord in our lives. Help us not to go back fishing in a, in a season where we can't fully comprehend your dealings with us. And yet your world is playing itself out at such a rapid rate. And yet we cannot understand it. Forgive us of those times. Forgive me of those times, Father. Help me to, to see how you come in your person as Christ to me in different seasons of my life. And at times, God, to extract the Python thinking out of me, you will demonstrate abundant provision to cause me to refocus upon what you represent, upon who you are. I thank you that I don't need to toil in a season when I fail to comprehend your doing, to ensure my own preservation, what I shall eat, drink, and wear. But I know, Lord, that you will take care of us in every season of your of your purposes being expressed in our lives. That we will do with our whole heart, for we know who you are, our loving Heavenly Father. And so now, Father, we lift up our hands in gratitude. Thank you for our inheritance as sons. You've given to us, your word says in Psalm 16, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, and indeed my heritage is beautiful to me. Thank you for what you've given to us. I ask your blessing upon the house as we traverse throughout this week. And I thank you, Father, we will hear testimonies of the great abundant provision that you will bestow upon us simply because you want to demonstrate yourself to us as I am your Lord, I am your God. I'm in, I'm in control of all the events of your life. We thank you for this, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.